If you would open your Bibles with me this morning, we're continuing in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, this morning, picking up in verse 9. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. Lord, it is the light that we need. Lord, may its light show us Jesus today. May you show us our desperate need and what you have done to meet that need. Or be at work by your spirit in our heart doing things that I can't do. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. For whatever reason in the Lord's providence, the backdrop of this sermon, I had no idea on Monday that I would attend two memorials this week. One, a, a tragic death of a young Soldier, and the other, uh, the, the, the timely death, the, the death of a of an, uh, civil rights leader in Shreveport. But the backdrop in my heart to this text quickly became late in the week, death. And I don't know, I don't know how you experience funerals, memorial services, that kind of thing, but to me it's a deep reminder of why Advent is even a thing. Why? Our experience of Christmas is often cute. It's pretty. We decorate. That's good. We have, there, there's a lot of beauty here. But the reality is we live in a broken sinful world. People are dying. And if the Lord tarries, that's going to be you and that's going to be me. And the answer given by this story of Jesus, the light of the world, breaking into the world, answers those questions about death and eternity. We saw last week in John's account of Advent, that it was, it was a bit different than the others. He didn't really narrate the birth of Jesus. He wanted to, us to know that the, look, the eternally existent One, the One who by the word of His power created all things, was breaking into the world. Light was coming into the darkness. 
We turned our attention then to the the witness of John to that light. The fact that that light continues to go out today by a witness. We're not the light, but we point to, we know where the light is. We, We point to it. We bear witness to the light. Today we're going to see what that light does when it comes into the world. This is the lesson today. What what does the light do when it breaks into the world? Again, last week I I made the point that to some, Advent is really easy. If it's all about the, the decorations and just good quality family time. Which all those things are good. Again, I enjoy those things as much as anyone. But is that it? Is that the only thing that should capture our attention? According to John, Advent is divisive. It's divisive. Never in the Bible is meeting with God viewed as a light thing. It's always heavy. It's always got the shadow of life and death hanging over the encounter with the true and living God. While angels certainly announce amazingly peace with God through the coming of Christ, the ceasing of hostility God directed toward man, that's a great announcement. But it's also a divisive one in our world. John's Gospel detail how Jesus divides people. Here in the prologue of John's whole gospel, we're seeing that. We're seeing that the gospel itself, as it goes out, will be divisive. I love the Eugene Peterson quote, The gospel of Jesus Christ is more political than anyone imagines, but in a way that no one guesses. This is a divisive gospel. As the light is breaking into the world, it is not doing so neutrally doing so to great effect. What you do with Jesus is the most important question you could ever answer. What do you do with Him? Who is He? What does that mean to you? We're going to see in the text that Jesus came and He was rejected. We're going to see that Jesus came and He was received. We're also going to see that He came to do it all. First, He came and was rejected. Verses 9 through 11, we're told that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This stands in contrast and reminds us of the truth of what we discussed last week. John the Baptist says He's not the light. Then John reminds us the true light... The true light of the world, that is Jesus Christ, was breaking into the, to the world by His birth. We've already seen Jesus is the creator of all things, and here we see that he, His light shines on everyone. John is giving us an amazing lesson about exactly who Jesus is. Because of His life, you and I have life. All things in existence, all things in our world, all things in the entire cosmos owe their light and life to Him. 
That's who Jesus is. He's the very life of men. Without His light, without Him, nothing else would exist. That's who's coming into the world. None of us would ever draw breath or have a pulse apart apart from the Son of God. None of us would know this life apart from His existence. As one commentator noted, that from this light, that is Jesus, the rays are diffused all over mankind. Now we're told that not everyone received that light. Though it's shown and and gives life to, to all this physical existence, some rejected this light. Verse 10, He was in the world and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. Jesus, the very creator of all things, came into the world. If if anybody should know Him, it should be His own creation. That would be like saying, hey, one of our own children, one of these little guys who comes down here week in, week out, that you've known and served, that you had back in nursery, then in children's church, and you taught Sunday school. It would be like saying, hey, one of them walks in the door one day and they're utterly unknown to us. Would that happen? John is saying it happened with the very Son of God. The very Creator of the world came to the world that He made and they did not know Him. goes further in verse 11. It says, not only did, did Christ break into the world that He made, He came to His own people. His own people reject Him. He came to Israel. He was born a Jew. He came to, to that people with that identity and all that was loaded in it was, it was all about Him and, and they should get it. These people, these closest ones to Him, they should be the ones to get it. Yet John tells us up front, they, they don't get it. They don't know Him. They don't receive Him. In fact, they reject Him. Isaiah 1 makes this same point, verse 3. This is the same point concerning Israel. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Listen, this is the close relationship that God has with His creation. He is the maker. Further, He's coming to those people And they just don't get it. They don't recognize. They don't know. The question we have to ask is why? Why don't they receive Him? Why is Jesus rejected? Well, John gives us a host of reasons throughout His Gospel. One is they're too familiar with Him. Yeah, that's that's Jesus. We know that guy. He grew up around him and Jesus said it himself. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown. 
John tells us that some love darkness more than they love light. The light broke in, it shone on them, and they ran away from it. It's like flipping a light on in a garage. Roaches are around. When you flip the light on, what do they do? They don't just sit there. They scatter. Right? John paints that picture for us. He said the light of Jesus breaks in. And some scatter. Some were afraid of what others thought. John 7, verse 13 and 9, 22. They were too concerned about the community around them. Hey, if, if, if I accept Him, it's going to come with a cost. There's a price to pay to follow this Jesus. And it's too great. Some distorted His identity. He left no options. He claimed to be the eternal Son of God, Son of Man, and yet others like to debate about who He really was. They like to debate more than receive. Some were hardened by their traditions. They had just enough of the the truth in them to, to utterly be able to reject Jesus. They were inoculated against it. Is that still an issue today? Are we inoculated against Jesus? Do we have just enough spirituality flowing in our veins to when we encounter the real thing? He means nothing to us. Others love the praise of men. John 12. They love the praise of men. And again, this high cost in following Jesus wouldn't allow for that praise. So they reject Him. How do people not receive the light in Shreveport and in Bossier? That's a real question. It's one that I want us as a congregation to constantly wrestle with. Why do people around reject Jesus? We still surprise year after year that Christmas is not really about Christ but a thousand other things, any, any other thing really. It could be a thousand things, but not Jesus. Does that surprise us anymore? Do some in Shreveport, Bozier still reject Jesus out of familiarity? There's a church on every corner. Does that really have any impact on my life whatsoever? The some in our community simply love darkness rather than light. Do some people around us reject Christ, reject His gospel because it comes with a cost? And I guess the question for us, because we're all gathered together this morning worshiping God, is does it cost us something? Does the gospel come with a price for our lives? Do some still like to debate the identity of Jesus Christ and hide behind that debate as a reason to reject Jesus as their creator? This is all speculation. We could speculate about the nature of who Jesus is. You have to understand the Word of God leaves no room for that. He's the light of the world breaking into our world. 2,000 years have gone by. 
and I suspect some of the same reasons exist in Shreveport, in Bossier for rejecting Jesus. Not everybody rejected. It says the light broke into the world and some received the light, but to all who did, verse 12, receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is an astounding verse. Sometimes the smallest words in Scripture carry the most weight. The light broke into the, to the world. The world who, who was made by Him, they, they didn't know Him. His own people reject Him, but... But... Some people don't reject this light. Here John launches into the benefit of receiving the light. Those who receive the light have the light. They have the authority to be called children of God. John is dispelling the notion that just because God is the maker of all men, He's he's not necessarily Father of all. Yes, all are created in His image with worth and dignity and value. But can we call all people the same all over the globe, children of God? John would say no. John would say it has to do with receiving the light. Do you receive Him? That's the question. Do you believe in Him? That's the question. If so, you are His child. Receiving the light qualifies you as a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? Because God was incarnate and fleshed, those who receive Him are given the right to to be His children. You're like, great. Listen, that's the beauty of the incarnation for us. We're given a Heavenly Father that's perfect. Who loves us. Listen to Paul in Romans 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, listen to this, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Being a child of God does not mean that we will not suffer. We will suffer. But it does mean that even in suffering, even in hardship, that we're heirs with Christ. That we get everything that belongs to Him. Everything that's coming to Him comes to us too. And I don't know how much you read your Bible, but you don't have to read very far to realize that Jesus receives all things. All things are His. Being a child of God is central to our Christian identity. I love this quote in Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He writes this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father 
is the Christian name for God? How much do you make of this astounding truth that you, through Christ, are qualified to be a child of God? His beloved, His heir. Does that move you? Does that shape you? Being a child of God is central in Christianity. It's central to who we are as those who are in Christ. We are His child. He loves us. He's given us all things in Him. In Christ, we are justified and glorified and have fellowship with Christ's body and blood and fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit all through Christ. All as children of God. The call here is to believe. Specifically, John says, believe in His name. And that's kind of, that's kind of a head-scratcher. What does it mean to believe in His name? It means just to take Jesus for who He is. His titles are many in, in John. He's kind of flagging us to these names, these titles given to Jesus. Let me just read a couple of them for you. Jesus is the eternal Word who is with God and is God. Believe His name. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Believe His name. Jesus is the Messiah long awaited from the Old Testament. Believe Him. Jesus is the Bridegroom. Believe Him. Jesus is the living water that alone will satisfy. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Prophet. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the true vine. He's the cosmic Son of Man straight out of Daniel 7. He's come to set things right. Believe. Trust. Believing the name, again, means to take Him simply for who He is. Take Him at His word. Like a child. Like a child. Simply believe. Have you believed in Him? Again, the backdrop of this sermon is, and and some of us realize this and some of us don't, but it's life or death. We're sinners. We're under a curse. That curse means while the Lord tarries, one out of one will die. This is central. What will you do with Jesus? The light breaking into the world. Does Christmas have any more meaning than than just a, a cute time of year? Listen, it's divisive. It has meaning. What will you do with Jesus? Come to see that Advent doesn't mean things are going to go smoothly for Jesus. Some are going to reject. He would be rejected, but he would also be believed, and those who believe become his children. How is all this accomplished? Verse 13 who were born, these children were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if we're going to be His child, 
If Jesus is born to give us second birth, how does that happen? Before he tells us how it's going to happen, he has to tell us how it does not happen. It does not happen by blood. It's, it's not of blood. And actually that's a plural word, not of bloods. And it's a way that they would say something like this. It's not your bloodline. Your mom can't do this for you. Children, hear me out. Your mom and your dad, as good as they are, they cannot save you. Parents, that should hold a deep lesson for us. We can't save our kids. We're not enough. Not of blood. Not of blood. In our day, there are some... Some ways that we might be tempted to think we have a leg up. Maybe it's not the first thing we think of is not um, our bloodline so much as where we are in society. Not necessarily uh, my parents and grandparents, but maybe being middle class, maybe being white. Maybe that entitles me to, to some sort of favor before the king. It doesn't. It doesn't. It offers nothing by way of making me a child of God. I could be twice the son of hell. It's not your bloodline. Nor of the will of the flesh. That is, not by natural means. Not by natural means. We need more than we have to offer. We can't muster enough to make this happen ourselves. So it can't happen from circumstances outside of us. Not our bloodline, not our pedigree, not our race, ethnicity. None of that stuff qualifies us. Nor do our own work. We can't work enough to get this. Our flesh cannot pull off salvation. We can't do it. We can't make it happen. Our best efforts fail to make us right before God. Our best efforts cannot make us His child. Nor of the will of man, this last one, men can't will their own birth. Men can't will themselves to be born. I think this is the reality going on in John 3 that we'll see later with Jesus and Nicodemus. He says, hey Nicodemus, what you need is to be born again. Nicodemus seems to be willing to take that on face value and say, okay, well, how does that happen? Am I supposed to again go into my mother's womb? That's laughable. And that means he got it. This is an impossible thing. I can't produce it. I can't make it happen. It's not my bloodline. It's not my effort. And it's not something I can will to happen. Then what? If it's not our bloodline, then what? If it's not our effort, then what? If it's not our choice, then how? Then he answers by the will of God. And is saved by the power and will of God. 
What we need to know is that we're children of God. Not by our bloodline, but by His shed blood. Not by will of the flesh, but His flesh given up for us and torn apart for us. Not by our will, but His will, His his ironclad will to rescue us. Not our bloodline, His shed blood. Not our flesh, His flesh torn for us. Not our will, but His will to come rescue us. Here's the center of John's teaching concerning the implication of the eternal Word of God breaking into the world. Here's what He's come to do. He's come to save. He's come to rescue. That's why this is a Christmas message. An Advent message. At the heart of Advent is the stark reality of a fallen world. A world in a season that should be great and all about joy and hope. Really in the backdrop there's death. That's why we need hope. That's why we need light. Because there is darkness. That Christ, the light of the world, the one who made the world, came into the world because of His great love to make us His children. He was born King of kings, Lord of lords. He was born a a baby. Laid in a manger. Because He loved the world. Light breaking into the darkness. Perfectly obeying the Father in every possible way. Where we disobey, Jesus obeyed. Where we get it wrong, He got it right every single time. Then Jesus died a cursed death on a tree. The death that each and every one of us deserve because of our sin. Do you realize today that that's what your sin deserves? And mine, a cursed death, a shameful death on a tree. And Jesus came to take that in our place. Being vindicated in all of his claims, Jesus rose from the dead. He triumphed over the grave. And in his new life, we have life. In his resurrected life, you and I have a true and living hope for resurrection. That's what Advent is all about. That's what it's all about. True and living hope in Christ and us being called by grace, by sheer grace, the children of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. Lord, in so many uh, respects, we, we wrestle with these things. Sometimes we're so familiar with this truth that we don't believe. Father, would you help our unbelief? Would we, like children, simply receive the light? Would we believe on the name of the Son of God and so be qualified to be your children? Not by our bloodline, not by our own flesh, not by our own will, but by your work. Pray in Christ's name, amen.